My name's Phil, by the way, if you're new. I'm assistant pastor here. It's great to see you. We, um, at the moment, we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, but we're just on pause for a moment, and today we're just going to dip in for a happy little day in, one, uh, in Romans chapter 1, just, just a few verses, and then next week we're going to be carrying on through 1 Corinthians. It's very exciting. Jonty and I had a day the other day. We just spent the day looking at 1 Corinthians, looking at the next couple of chapters, and it's very exciting. God's got some uh, big things to say to us and to teach us. But for today, he's got some things to say to us in Romans chapter 1. So let me read um, from verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, Paul's writing the letter, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever find that people use a word, uh, but you have a sneaking suspicion that they don't know what that word means? Um, in the words of Indigo Montaya from the film The Princess Bride, which probably about 5% of the room have seen, he keeps saying, you keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. People use words over and over again, and you're not sure they know what it means. The one that gets me is literally, okay? People say literally, and when they say literally, they normally mean the opposite of literally, like, I literally died. And you're like, well, you didn't literally die, did you? It's the opposite of literally. You kind of metaphorically died or whatever the right word is. You keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. Now, one of those words that gets used by Christians a lot, as in is in the Bible a lot, is gospel, the gospel. We love the gospel, we believe the gospel, we tell people the gospel. But if we're not careful, we could find ourselves all using that word because everyone else does, and yet not being dead sure what we mean by that word. In fact, we might come across people in our lives who talk about the gospel, but actually mean something very different to what we mean by the gospel. Now, the word gospel itself means good news. That's what it means. It's a message of good news. Boy, does our world need some good news right now. It's been shocking this week, hasn't it, as we think about our city to see lives torn apart by gun crime and knife crime and, and gangs. It's been really shocking. I think it's kind of woken up the city a little bit to what's been going on. The headline that caught my attention was, no easy answer to gun and knife crime. No easy answer, but there's a feeling of, we need an answer. What we need is a gospel, some good news for what's going on. Well, Christianity is all about good news, the gospel. But what is the gospel? What is the good news that we're crying out for? Well, Paul wrote this letter, Romans, to the Roman church In part, his point was to clarify, remind them what the gospel is. The gospel that he preaches and the gospel that they believe. See, he was going to become a, he was kind of a missionary and he was wanting to head to Spain and he wanted their support for his mission work. And he knows that if they're going to support him as he goes to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world, that he needs to just back up and check that they're on the same page as to what the gospel is. He's saying, guys, please can you support me? And by the way, this is what I'm going to be telling people. This is the gospel. 
And actually, it's really important for us as a church just to back up and go, wait a minute, what do we mean by the words of the gospel? Because if we don't keep some clarity about this, then we're going to get into all sorts of trouble. We say the gospel is our hope, but if we're not sure what the gospel is, how strong can our hope be? We say the gospel is what unites us as a church, but if we're hazy on the meaning of the gospel, how strong can our unity be? We say the gospel is what people need to hear, but again, if we keep using that word and it doesn't mean what we think it means, then what exactly are we telling people? So Paul packs into these opening verses a kind of a neat little summary for us of the gospel. He sets out his stall, this is what I mean when I say the gospel. So this is a good place for us as a church to look and say, what's the gospel? What is it that we believe? Now, Paul knows that he's not at liberty just to make stuff up. Have a look at verse 1. He introduces himself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. His job is an apostle, and he's set apart for, that is to tell people, the gospel. But Paul cares which gospel. Do you see, he says, the gospel of God. Funny little phrase. Things you might not expect to hear a preacher say, number one, you shouldn't give a monkey's what I think the gospel is. You shouldn't care what I think the gospel is. You shouldn't care about my opinion or the opinions of people who write big books. You should give a monkey's what God says his good news is. That's what Paul cares about, God's gospel. Okay, so it's God's gospel. All right, Paul, um, what is God's gospel all about? It's less of a what, more of a who. Less of a what, more of a who. Here's how we're going to sum it up, okay? Here's how you can remember what the gospel is. It's dead simples, all right? Jesus Christ, our Lord, okay? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Should we pray and go home? That's it. Jesus Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's our summary. Have a look, verse 2. The gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And here's how he caps it all off. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now notice Paul's little summary of the gospel is topped and tailed with a description of a person. Verse three we get is regarding his son, God's son. Then verse four, the other end is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we start with God's son, but then something happens in between going from God's Son to getting this title, Jesus Christ our Lord. What happens in between? So Jesus Christ our Lord is kind of the climax of his little summary, of his gospel summary. Contained in that name, in this title, is God's gospel, Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to the point in life where on my desk I have one of those little name signs, you know? Phil Tinker, B-A-Ons, um, PhD in something important. You know, I don't know if any of you have one of those on your desk. I long to. But that little sign with your name and your title is not just saying, hey, I'm Barry or something. It's telling you something important about that person. That you're sitting on the other desk. You need to know who they are and what their title is because they've got something that you need. Well, God's gospel can kind of be summarized by Jesus' name sign for his desk, his title, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work through these verses and see what it means that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Why is that a really good summary of God's good news, God's gospel? So first up, let's think about this bit. Jesus Christ. 
So verse 3, God's gospel starts with his son, the divine son, fully God, always existed, not a human son, but God's, uh, God the Father's son. But then the gospel story kicks in. Something happens to the son which gets him this title, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, regarding his son who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. Descendant of David. So the son takes on an earthly life, or more kind of literally a a flesh, a a body life. So God's gospel starts with the divine son taking on a human nature, an everyday normal flesh and blood, hormones, emotions, life on earth, Jesus of Nazareth. But he's not just any old human. He was a descendant of David. Dave, nice. Who's David? This is King David from the Old Testament. And this is where the first part of Jesus' title really kicks in, Christ. Christ means the anointed, the one who's king. By the way, Messiah, Christ, same thing. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. It means the same thing. It's the king, the anointed one. So why does Jesus get the title Christ, the anointed king? Well, throughout the Bible, King Dave, from King David onwards, God makes these promises that there's going to be another king in David's line, in his family, who's not only going to be king of Israel like David was, pretty good, but God's, here it is, this is what it means, God's rescuer king, that's the Christ. God's rescuer king of the whole world, wow, that's the promised Christ. Now, verse 2, I don't know if you noticed, told us that this was all promised beforehand, through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament. So why don't we check out what the prophets say about this David family king Christ who's going to come. So let's have a look at a couple of these prophecies. Let's turn to Isaiah 11, page 697. There are lots we could do, but we're just going to do a couple. Isaiah chapter 11, page 697. Isaiah 11, verse 1. So remember, we're looking for the, the David king, Christ. And by the way, David's dad was called Jesse, and we get a reference to Jesse here. So that's talking about David's family, Jesse, same thing. Okay. Isaiah 11, verse 1, page 697. Here's the prophecy. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, David's dad, so David's family. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There's this figure, this person. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness will sash around his waist. And it goes on and on and on. This amazing picture of this, this shoot coming from the family of David, like a stump. And this person is going to be the king, is going to be this better David, this rescuer, this one who cares for the needy and brings justice. He's going to be a big deal. Okay, let's look at another one of these prophecies from beforehand. Jeremiah 33, page 796. Jeremiah 33, page 796. 797 is where we're going to be looking. 
Jeremiah 33, verse 15. Here's another one of these prophets talking, about, talking beforehand about the Christ, the David king, God's rescuer. Jeremiah 33, verse 15, page 796. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Ah, there it is. There's David. Who will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Ooh, a rescuer. And Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior. So we have another prophet saying, a David king is coming. He's going to bring justice. He's going to save, rescue a king. But also this David king will be divine. Did you see at the end the name? The Lord, that's God's name, our righteous savior. This rescuer king is God. Okay, let's go back to Romans 1. Scoot back over, page 1129. And what Paul is saying, that all of these threads, all of these prophecies in the Old Testament, they come together in Jesus. God the Son has become God's rescuer king that was promised. The just, fair, gentle, strong rescuer the world needs. The Son took on earthly life and gained this title, the Christ. God's gospel is about Jesus Christ the rescuer king. But maybe we're still not clear why this is God's good news that the rescuer king has come. Because we haven't really thought about why we need rescuing. And to think about that, we've been thinking about kings. Well, let's think for a moment, as you do on a Sunday afternoon, about anarchy. Let's think about anarchy for a moment. Anarchy is the throwing off a rule, like kings. I recently read how um, the anarchist book fair, I don't know if you've heard about the anarchist book fair, the Anarchist Book Fair of 2018 was being cancelled this year over disagreements between those who attend. There was literally a fight. There was anarchy at the Anarchist Book Fair last year where people disagreed and had a, literally a fist fight with each other. Anarchists. And this is how um, on the website they describe anarchy. Human beings are at their very best when they're living free of authority. Deciding things among themselves rather than being ordered about. I'm not sure how much they were at their best when they were punching each other <laughs> at the anarchist book fair. Now, what the Bible says is the anarchy we have in our world is a kind of cosmic anarchy. Where we believe we're at our very best when we're living free from God's authority. And our cosmic authority, let's be honest, is hardly displayed that we're at our best when we're free from God's rule. We have, in our human lives, a million different ways to hurt each other. We could easily scroll through the, the news feed and ask the question, is anyone in charge here? That was a question being asked this week of London. I, what I heard, uh, the headline was again, have the police lost control of the streets? That was the question being asked. Is anyone in charge here? But also if we looked within at ourselves, we can see that we've made a mess of things. The way we've done wrong, we, we should ask of our lives, well, is anyone in charge here? And we go, I'm in charge. But it's a mess. And the Bible says it's because of this kind of cosmic anarchy. God, the king, is the only one who can take care of us all. The only one who can help us live together in peace and harmony, who can handle our lives. But we've tried to overthrow him, anarchy. I guess you could call that God's bad news. But now God's king comes along. But we're still not clear why that's good news. Because if you think about it, 
if we're committing anarchy and the king comes along, that, that could go badly for us. Imagine you've committed fraud. Okay, just imagine for a moment, in your business you committed fraud and you're, you're sitting before your computer and you, I don't know, maybe you're committing fraud right there on your computer. And then the owner of the business walks in and looks straight at you. The fact that he's turned up is bad news for you. You're finished. So if here we are on this earth, guilty of this cosmic anarchy. Jesus Christ, which means the king, walks in. How's that good news for us? We're finished, right? Hang on, what does Christ mean again? Rescue a king. Rescue a king. When the son came as Christ the king, he didn't come to finish us. He came to save us. How? Well, it's all in this thing of him having an earthly life, flesh and blood. He became flesh and blood human so he could die a flesh and blood death on the cross to save us from this cosmic anarchy. Here's the good news. Though God is passionately angry with us for what we've done to him, God loves us still. So he gave his son to die this flesh and blood death as our rescuer king, our crucified Christ. Jesus died in our place so we can be forgiven by God. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So what is God's gospel? It's in the name, Jesus Christ, the rescuer king. Okay, so that's the first part of our little summary of the gospel. Remember, we're we're looking at Jesus Christ, our Lord, as our summary of the good news. We're trying to make sure we really get it. So how does the Son of God not only get the title Christ, the rescuer king, but also our Lord? How does he become our Lord? Now, Lord is a funny word for us uh, because Andrew Lloyd Webber is a Lord and uh, Alan Sugar is a Lord and Darth Vader is a Lord. He's Lord Vader. So it's a bit of an odd kind of word for us. But I want us to feel the weight of what Paul says when he says Jesus is our Lord. In Paul's Greek Bible, which we know he used, and and these Christians would have been familiar with, in his Greek Bible, when God's name, Yahweh, came up, they, they, they used the word Lord instead. So instead of Yahweh, instead of God's name, every time it came up, they wrote the word Lord in Greek. Over 6,000 times. So that's how in this context they hear the word Lord. It's the name for God. Lord isn't an honorary title for an old musicals writer. No disrespects, Mr. Weber. It's the word for them that they use in their Bibles for God. Lord is the person you worship. Lord is the person you obey. The person above whom there is no higher power. Lord is God. And God's good news is that the Son is now called Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is God to be worshipped. That's a huge thing for Paul to say. But there's a problem with this. There's a problem with saying he's our Lord. Let me put it this way. You can have all the credentials in the world, but if you're dead, you ain't doing much. The son became a human, the Christ rescuer king. That's what we heard, that he, he died this flesh and blood death to rescue us from our cosmic anarchy. But to be frank, a man rotting in a tomb is no good as our Lord. Jesus might have died for me, 
But a corpse in a dark tomb in the Middle East, which has been decomposing for 2,000 years, doesn't merit me saying, he's Lord, the one we should worship, the one we should submit our lives to. What kind of Lord is a corpse? We don't go to the grave of Winston Churchill and ask for his help on foreign policy. He's not prime minister anymore, and he's dead. You don't get the title of Lord if you're dead because you look pretty defeated. Who won? Jesus or death? Well, if, if Jesus is still dead, then death won that round. Then Jesus isn't Lord, death is, right? So how does Paul get to the point of saying God's gospel is that Jesus Christ is our Lord? Verse 4, the Son, who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The earthly life of Christ with his flesh and blood death was not the end of the story. Through the power of the spirit of holiness, Jesus was raised from the dead. And this changed his name forever. Now he can be called our Lord. He's Lord because he was raised from the dead. It's a funny little phrase they've got in verse 4. He was appointed Son of God in power by his resurrection. Funny. Now, this isn't saying that Jesus suddenly became the Son of God when he rose from the dead. No, we've already had that he's the Son in verse 3. So he's already the Son, becomes a human, dies, raised, and is appointed Son of God in power. So remember what we said about a corpse Christ. The Son of God lying in a tomb has no power and no reason for us to call him Lord. But by being resurrected, we can ask our question about death again. Who won? Who's Lord? Who's top dog? Death or Jesus? Jesus. So now, visibly displayed, appointed, God has lifted out Jesus' body and lifted up Jesus' name. So that now there could be no doubt he's the Son of God in power, the Lord. Lying in a tomb, the world might look and go, Thanks for dying for us. Very nice. A little bit tragic how it finished. But now Jesus has come alive. We can't dismiss Jesus as some kind of tragic figure. He's something else entirely. He's Son of God in power, our Lord. Now, again, we should ask, why is this good news? Because that's what tonight's all about. This means that we have someone who can change our lives and transform the world for better. I remember sitting down with a teenager at a youth club I used to run. And he was just that really angry kid. He knew he was an angry kid. And he said that to me, I don't want to be angry anymore, but this is just how I am. And I said to him, I've got good news for you. Jesus has what you need. He's got two things that you need. He can forgive you. You know what? He can change you too. This kid needed forgiveness from God and he needed someone who actually had the power to change him so he wasn't just the way he was. And that's Paul's gospel. You see in verse 5, have a look. Verse 5, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, that is the world, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Paul calls the nations to faith in Jesus, to trust in him, and that obedience leads to faith. Sorry, that faith leads to obedience because God accepts you the way you are, but he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He, he gives you this faith so it can change you. 
and lead to an obedience. Aren't you relieved to know you don't have to stay the way you are? I am. There's a lot in my life I don't like, but I'm frankly helpless to help myself. Who could rescue me? Who could change me? Who could help me obey God? The Son of God in power looks good for the job. That's why he gets the title, Lord. And you know what? Not just looking at myself, but there's a lot in this world I don't like. Man, the knife crime. The murders. No easy answer to gun and knife crime. In Reading, a 50-year-old girl stabbed two other girls. It started because one of them kicked her bike. The fight was arranged on social media, and 40 other youths circled around and filmed it on their phones. We need a Lord, don't we? Someone who's good, someone who's powerful. A Lord, a Lord who has what it takes to fix this. Jesus would be helpless if he'd stayed in the tomb, but he didn't. He rose from the dead. He's Lord. He can fix this. And you know what? Jesus, our Lord, will one day return and finally put all things right. No guns in our hands. No anarchy in our hearts when he comes back. Does that sound good to you? Does that sound good? If it does, then you say to God, yes, Jesus is my Lord. Lord of what happens to me when I die. Because he rose from the dead. He can look after my eternity. He's Lord of what happens to me now. He can powerfully take care of me. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of how I live. My faith leads to an obedience. You can help me live best. Jesus Christ, our Lord, raised from the dead. This is our gospel. This is the good news. And perhaps as you look at your life and the mess you've made of things, even today, as you think about and still experience the pain of what others have done to you, you need a gospel, something good. How about this? God's gospel. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ, God's rescuer king. Lord, risen from the dead. Death defeated, highest power, now the one you can give your life to. Okay, that's the gospel. That's God's gospel. As we finish, let's think uh, about a few little implications. Not little implications, I don't know why I said that. Big implications. First up, which gospel are you listening to? Which gospel are you listening to? When you do things like choose a church, some of you are here today, um, you're looking around churches in London, or maybe one day, you, most of us won't kind of live and die at the Globe Church, you might leave here one day, not too soon please, uh, but you might do. When you do that kind of thing, what gospel are you looking for? It needs to be God's gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, no church has on its website, hey, welcome to Christ Church Place, We've changed the gospel. It's not how it works. So we need to be discerning. How do we be discerning? Well, apply the... Oh, it's gone. Apply the thing that's really memorable. Jesus Christ our Lord. See, it's memorable. You can take that with you. Is the gospel that this church loves focused on the Son of God as the good news? Or is a Christian's kind of the good news for the world? That it's us? Is the gospel about Christ the King... Or Jesus, the mere teacher, the miracle worker, or even Jesus, the social radical. That's pretty cool these days. Jesus, the social radical. Does the good news contain the bad news of our cosmic anarchy first? Is there a need in this church's gospel for the crucified Christ? Or is the volume on the cross and forgiveness turned down? Is there an obedience-less gospel? 
where Jesus isn't the Lord who has the power and authority to change your life? Is it God's gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord? Hey, in fact, don't just ask this about the next church that you go to. Ask it about this church. Ask it about us, what we're preaching to you. Is it God's gospel? Ask it about books, bishops, podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever it is that you're listening to. People are going to use the word gospel all the time. I read a booklet the other day from the Church of England all about uh, evangelism. And it talked about the gospel loads and nowhere did it say what the gospel was. That's an issue. We need to know what gospel we're talking about. Which gospel are you listening to? Which gospel are you sharing? Paul really cared that his job was to preach this gospel, God's gospel. We should care about that too. Which one are we preaching? Which bit of Jesus Christ our Lord do you struggle to say to others? Perhaps it's the obedience that comes from faith. God wants to forgive us and change us. Can you see, though, that the lordship of Jesus is good news to make us like him, to fix this world? We don't want this world to stay the way it is, do we? Perhaps it's sharing the need for Christ to rescue us, rescue us from sin. There's a word we don't like. God's gospel confronts us, yeah, with tough realities we need to hear so that we can hear the good news that he's become our rescuer king. So is Jesus Christ our Lord the good news that you're sharing? Finally, which gospel are you believing? Paul tells the Romans, hey, you know, this is, this is your gospel too that you believe. Look at verse 6. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? To belong to Jesus Christ. We sometimes worry, how, how do I know I belong to Jesus? How do I know if I'm really accepted by God? It's very simple. Today, do you believe this gospel? That's it. Is Jesus your Christ? The rescuer king who died for you? Yeah. Is Jesus your Lord, the one who rose from the dead to give you eternal life and a new life now with God? Yeah. Then you belong to Jesus Christ. That's it. There might be lots you don't get. There might be lots of ways in which we fail. But this is God's gospel for you today. And this is the gospel we need every day until the day we die. This is the gospel. Isn't it great? Well, let's pray and praise our God for his gospel. Lord God, we want to thank you for your love. While we were still living out this anarchy, living against you, in love you sent your son for us. Thank you that he really is everything we need to be saved, everything we need to be brought back to you. And I pray that we would wholeheartedly embrace this gospel, believe it, know it, proclaim it, and live it. Father, please keep us from any other gospel, the gospel which maybe puts us at the center, makes us feel better about ourselves, or anything like that. And Lord, if tonight we're struggling to believe that you can really love us, that we could really have a relationship with you, I pray that you would convince us afresh that in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we have everything we need to be brought back to you.
Please, Lord, stun us again at this gospel. May it be truly good news. Please warm our hearts. Fill us with joy as we go out into Monday to know that this is your gospel for us. Amen.